Greetings and welcome back, listeners. C. Valis Vallejo. Valer Magulis. Nanu Nanu. Thank you for tuning in. We are back. This is Three Men and a Basement. And uh, we are the Ultra Crepidarians, and, and we took a we took a minute there. Uh, Solid minute. Yeah, minute and a half maybe. Pause for COVID, but we're back, and we're watching movies again. Woo! Uh, woof, woof. <laughs> my name is Colin McLeod. Mark Culp here. Action Jackson. And uh, in this podcast, we review movies. A lot of movies. So many. All the movies. Uh, Mostly and- good. Yeah, yeah. Tokyo Gore, please. Uh, (laughs) And we try to target movies that are not total blockbuster smashes, uh, but we also target ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy, even if you wanted to. Instead, we like to aim for that sort of delightful sweet spot of movies right in the middle that, in our experience, too few people who've seen or maybe people have heard of and, you know, haven't seen or have seen and haven't revisited in a while. Uh, And it's our job to watch these movies, garner an opinion, box it up nice and neat, deliver it to you, the listener and it helps you figure out whether they're worth um pulling out of uh grandpa's closet and and uh, throwing on the beta yes yeah don't go in grandpa's closet don't go no don't go in grandpa's for your closet. own safety mm-hmm. just avoid the yeah blue tuxedo don't urban Dic- don't urban dictionary blue tuxedo. alabama blue tuxedo <laughs> You know Nothing good comes out of alabama i'm sorry our alabama listeners but realistically you just throw a state name in front of anything and it's not good. Oh, no, 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 no. No. But, I mean, let's be honest. The Alabama ones are worse. <laughs> Just, like... Objectively. Objectively worse. Yeah, if you're listening and you're from Alabama, just go ahead, take your sister, and go to the bedroom. Just avoid this altogether. We, wow. We've lost every Alabama listener. You just turned um, that up to 11. Those that are not currently performing an Alabama blue tuxedo, uh, we've lost them. Thanks, Jackson. Oh yep, God. anytime. <laughs> anytime. Oh my God. Uh, so, in this extremely protracted intro, it is our job to tell you that this week we reviewed the movie Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Pretty cold. It was frigid. It was, yeah, it was a little chilly. I had um, to put on my hoodie and everything. Okay, so, little backstory about Snowpiercer before like, we go into our sort of standard deets. Mark has been wanting to see this movie since the dawn of time. Yeah, yeah, just about. I mean, if you round up to the nearest dawn of time, but really, about four years, I've been wanting to watch this movie. I've been, it's it's been like in my purview, you know, It's it was on Netflix, and then it wasn't on Netflix, and probably went back on Netflix, and then I left Netflix again. I don't know, I wasn't paying attention, but... Sounds like you were paying a lot of attention. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I feel like you were following it pretty closely. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But this he's going to talk be, about it. He's going to talk I about mean, it. I might have to talk about it a little bit. So okay, <laughs> let me break it down for you. It's kind of like this. I wanted to see the movie, but I didn't. Consider it broken. All right. He has broken it down. That's that's most of it. <laughs> All right. And I was convinced that I own this movie. I own every other movie in the catalog universe, and I have seen this movie, and I love this movie, and I do not own this movie. So <gasps> I, did, surprise. <laughs> I did everything I could to track it down hours before we were supposed to watch it because Mark has been making a fuss about wanting to watch this movie for over two years. Yeah, it make, make me sound like a baby. <laughs> Having a fuss. A little poop in my diaper. Little little fuss. (laughs) A fuss. A little spit up on my bib. (laughs) 
Um, we all know a, so- a little something about that. So I, I actually had to borrow this movie from someone. Uh, so thank you, Max, uh, for allowing us to Mad Max finish yeah. tonight's podcast. Thank you, Max. Ooh, he went like full on Sweet Daddy mm-hmm. D there. <laughs> yeah, I've met Max. It's heating up in here. Max. Oh, oh, Max knows. Whoa. There's things that Max knows and things that Max doesn't know, but Max knows this. I don't want to know what Max doesn't know, because that, that scares me. Brought to you by Max. Mad Max. Save <laughs> this repayment. Fury Road. <laughs> Movie that we haven't watched on this podcast. Right, so, so kind of circling back a little, you know, just sort of circuitously coming back to the podcast. Um... This movie. <laughs> uh, let's hit some facts on this movie. All right. This movie, we've got uh, big, uh, big Avengers man. Yeah. Big Avengers man in this. John Hurt. That's not where I was going. <laughs> yes. Is he in this? Yes. He is. They call me Mister Pig. Um, well, here let's let's hit with the the sort of the, the, the straight the straight ups. Yeah. Okay, so Snowpiercer came out in 2013, rated R. This is a this is a pretty hard R. It's very R. This is this yep. is every bit R. 100%. Uh 2 hours and 6 minutes. That felt yeah. It felt every bit of that, but I don't think I was like I wasn't begging for it to end. It's got it as action sci-fi thriller. Yeah. Yeah. I think, is there anything I'd, missing? I'd say that sci-fi is a little bit of a stretch. You think? I mean it's a Special super sci-fi. It's a fancy. Th- I, I feel like it's squarely in sci-fi. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give it to you. I will say that it, sci-fi isn't what I think of when I see this movie, but action thriller is a hundred percent what I think of when I see this movie. Yeah, it's definitely a ton of action. More action than I've seen in a long time. It was certainly grounded. You, you, well, you got a, a newborn, so it's true. Presumably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, yep, but I think I get what you're saying is that like it, it was it was still grounded in reality, you know. Like when I think sci-fi, sometimes I think like almost borderline fantasy, and this wasn't that. But it certainly involved elements that do not exist right now. Would take massive feats of like scientific advancement and engineering. Oh, welding. correct, absolutely. Welding. There would be a lot of welding. There would be rivets. That's, oh man, it would be riveting. Ha! I I, I see what you did there. Oh. That's fun. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, definitely an R. Uh, I don't know if I'd go hard R, though. I mean, it's not Tokyo Gore Police, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I would say it's it's definitely not, it's not just over the threshold of R. It's well into the R territory. Right. It has, it has walked those roads. It's seen some things. All right, let's get to the, uh, okay. the IMDb description. In a future where a failed climate change experiment has killed all life except for the survivors who boarded the Snowpiercer a train that travels around the globe, a new class system emerges. Kinda? Yeah. I feel like there's there's bits missing there. I feel like, first of all, the whole, like, class system emerges. The events of the movie, like, the class system has already emerged. They perpetuated an existing class system. Right. Kinda, but it also sort of, like, I think existed as a function. I mean, we'll get into the details, but I think it existed as, like, a function of, like, where you came on, which... Yes, is a great metaphor for, like, existing in true class systems, but I, I think my point was more like, it's not like they all get on the train in the beginning of the movie and then you watch it, you watch the class system evolve and codify. It's like something that very much exists already and there's, like, a lot of history there. Oh, yeah. By the time the events of the movie take place. 
I think that was, of course, that was intentional. I mean, you know, this is very much an allegory for for society. But yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think that synopsis sets up the premise very well, mm-hmm. um, without giving too much away. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think that. I mean, that's almost covered in the narration in the beginning. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. For sure. This movie was directed by Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho, also known for Parasite. Parasite was probably his highest profile film after this. And he's definitely a director that I think is, I don't want to say up and coming, but starting to get the recognition that, that he deserves. And I think in some respects, Parasite was similar to this movie, not at all in the content, but in the sort of like grittiness, in the sort of like brutality. And um, a lot of the unexpected. Yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of like sort of twists and turns and... You know, it's not like a massive like Scooby Doo style twist, but but you don't know what's coming next. You're 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 sort of dodging back and forth as as you walk down the hallway. And I think if you liked those elements of Parasite, you would like this movie, um, and vice versa. I think if you've seen this movie and you liked those elements of this movie, go and watch Parasite because it's pretty banging. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the cast list. So, Mark, you mentioned that we have Mr. Avengers, man. Mr. Avengers Man. Chris Evans. Do you know him as the Human Torch? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think he's Batman. <laughs> he's the only actor who has not played Batman. <laughs> who deserves to play Batman, honestly. I mean, look at the man. He would be a fine Batman. He would be a fine Batman. He was also he's... famously in Not Another Teen Movie oh, God, with he's so Anne good Hathaway. He's so good in that. One of the few people that can pull off Beardless and Bearded with the same, I think, caliber. I've tried. It doesn't work. He is, he is a fine specimen, that Chris Evans. Slice off a piece and serve it up hot. <clears throat> Gotta love America's ass. Maybe a toe? Morton's toe. A Morton's toe. You, you know what, honestly? Probably the only person in the catalog universe who a Morton's toe would not make less attractive. Yeah. Wait, we've already established in previous episodes that I have a Morton's toe. Are you insinuating that due to my disability... <laughs> That I am somehow less of a human being? No, I'm saying that you would be objectively more attractive if we just ground that little fucker down. Wow. <laughs> I think... Wow! You know, I... <laughs> well, you know what? I'm gonna start wearing shoes. <laughs> I think that would I think that would be best for everybody. Well, first time for everything. Uh, who else is in this? Uh, yeah, who else is in this? Uh, Octavia Spencer. Oh, Octavia Spencer. She's What so a good. legend. So good. She pops up in, like, the most amazing things. She does. She shows up out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, my God, it's Octavia Spencer. And she's one of those actresses that it's it's not like seeing a movie with Robert Downey Jr., where you're like, okay, he's playing Robert Downey Jr. No, Octavia Spencer is her true, authentic self and disappears into her roles flawlessly. So, yeah. uh, uh, for those listening at home, Octavia Spencer is probably best known for The Help and for Hidden Figures. Uh, she was in Mama. I did not actually see Mama, but I hear good things. But she also, like we said, is in a whole bunch of other things and always does an amazing job. Uh, we got Jamie Bell in this, so he's definitely the kind of person who I would not have been able to put a name on. But if you ever seen the movie Defiance, he is in Defiance. He's a he's a very good actor. Great movie. He was also in like Billy Elliot and Jumper. He Jumper was, a- was one of my uh, one of my favorite sort of off-the-beaten-path movies. And it takes place in southeastern Michigan. Yeah. And they reference Plymouth, Michigan, which is very near us. And they go to Egypt. Allegedly. 
Allegedly. You jump to it. I can't jump that far, so, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, I max out at, like, three and a half feet. <laughs> I can go three and a quarter. Whoa. <laughs> uh, Tilda Swinton's in this movie. Yeah, and almost unrecognizable. It took me a second. I think she delivers pretty well in this movie, personally. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tilda Swinton, I'm so sorry, Tilda, if you're listening. I know you're a big fan of the show, but, like, Tilda Swinton is... And I'm, I don't mean this in a mean way, but this is going to come off so mean. She's very, like, off-putting in a lot of ways. And, like, I think her best roles are the ones where she is just, like, vile. Oh, like, yeah. Like, when she really, like, lays into a role where, like, she is hate-worthy, I think she really shines. And this movie is a prime example of I that. I think where I know and love Tilda Swinton the most is as the Ice Queen from the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think she plays her best in that role. I mean, she's truly evil. Like, like vile, like you said. Mm-hmm. She's just dripping with it. Um, but my second favorite would probably be her portrayal of David Bowie in mm-hmm. a David Bowie tribute music video. Because the two are identical, and it's creepy. She's got that kind of cold androgyny that I think also, like, David Bowie also had that is kind of rare, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, it's, Absolutely. It, she, well, she, there's a reason why she was the Sorcerer Supreme in Avengers. I mean, I, I keep going back to that. But, like, it, it's hard to, like, put her in a box, you know? She seems very, well, I mean, like you said, just, like, an, androgynous and, like, it's difficult to, to bin her. No, yeah, she's great. Ed Harris in this movie? Yeah. Ed Harris has been in a ton of shit. He was in... Enemy at the Gates, he was in Beautiful Mind, Ed Harris, if you if you don't know Ed Harris, you should. He was in The Abyss, for Christ's sake. That's a good one. You probably do know Ed Harris, you just don't know that you know Ed Harris. It's, he's another one of those actors that if you see his face, you'd be like, oh, it's that guy. What's Ed Harris? John Hurt. Oh, motherfucking John Hurt. Rest in peace, my friend. John Hurt, alien fame. He was the one who had the, in the original Alien, the chess breaker coming out. <laughs> sounded Um, exactly like that that was a startling recreation i'm sorry i know you guys all sort of like jumped there when i did yeah but i just about um, shit myself a little john hurt been in a ton of stuff he was in v for vendetta yes um he was in anything british okay I'm, i'm gonna rattle off just a couple more here real quick before we move on uh, Ewan Bremer, you might know him as Sick Boy from Train Spotting. <laughs> so good. And then Allison Pill has a small role in this. She was in like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and like Goon and Milk and all that. Oh, she else? was good in Scott Pilgrim. I liked she her. Was, everybody was good in Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> That's true. There are a lot of people in this movie, but there are not a lot of important people in this movie. And every important person in this movie is a fucking banger. Like everybody in this movie who. Fucking killed it. Who, yes, and like. They're heavy hitters. We did not just rattle off some, like, nobody names. I mean, like, the people we rattled off are, like... Legends. The, yeah, the kind of people... I mean, fucking John Hurt, you know, and Ed Harris and Octavia Spencer. You're talking about, like, Academy Award-level acting. Yeah. You got, you got Chris Evans, for Christ's sake. I mean, he's, like, Mr. Blockbuster with, yeah. like, his uh, Captain America franchise. I mean... These are heavy, heavy hitters. Yeah, um, every one of the important characters in this movie is a household name. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you recommend it? Thumbs up for sure. Yeah, I would I would definitely go thumbs up as well. This will probably have another disclaimer on it, you know? <laughs> Mark just disclaims just, everything. I just like to disclaim everything. But no, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I fucking, I love this movie. Yes. I, I recommend it to everybody. Very few people where I'd be like, you know... 
I, I probably would not recommend it to a child. And I probably depends on the child. Honestly, even like even somebody like my yeah, just on the child. But it was, if it was myself at like ten years old, I'd be like, "Fucking watch that movie! You'll yeah. love it. You'll love it." I mean, I'll probably <laughs> I'll I'll probably make my daughter watch it, but, but not yet. But I'm not going on the record as saying you should do that with your no, child. No, do what um, you want with your we child. Would get sued. Honestly, it'd be cool to have like the kind of exposure that would like get us sued. Yeah, come at me, bro. <laughs> Come at me. I mean, we, we we haven't really dealt with, like, a burp envelope. We haven't really dealt with, like, a Morton Toe. I know, like, Mike Tyson is technically hunting us. Come at me, bro. Um, but Good luck finding us. We're in a basement, bro. You can't even find us. It's like we're below ground. Bitch. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was offensive. Mr. Tyson, I did not say that, and I would like to apologize um, on, my, on behalf of myself. If you still want to hunt Jackson, you're welcome to. Bitch. Dude. <laughs> He's coming for you. Uh, okay, so didn't that guy eat an ear? I think so. <laughs> okay, that guy eat an ear. Okay, <laughs> the, like genuine curiosity in your voice. You said, "Didn't that guy eat an ear?" Uh, Coincidentally, okay. my mom looks like she lost a fight to Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the earlier. When you said your dad recently found out we had a podcast yep. and you said maybe, like, don't listen to it, stick with that policy. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> You're going to be making comments. It's okay. I said that to his face. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you know, to each their own. Yep. I fear no man. You hear that, Mike Tyson? I'm not afraid of you. I am. I am terrified of Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> what if the guy gets hungry for, like, a nose or some shit? Honestly, I I am just afraid of that man's punches. He can have he can have my nose. I can I can rock the Voldemort look. I are, are we ready to? Blah, 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 blah? I think we can. Wow, that was uh that was different. And Jackson went full on operatic Bugs Bunny there. <laughs> are you gonna go Kermit? I was I was I was going for Kermit goes to the opera. I, I get yeah, definitely in sound. It was more like that. My head went to like the Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, operas see like yeah. the mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. A opera. <laughs> No, I can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I vibe with that. Okay, let's let's spoil this bitch because uh this Yo. movie's this movie's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I thought the the opening was actually pretty solid. It felt, again, it kind of felt somewhat grounded. Temperatures are rising, global warming. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Well, let's all shoot this chemical up to try to lower the... Like, I can see that happening. Yeah, they blanket the earth in CW7, which lowers the temperature so that we can all live a happy and healthy life. How do you remember that it was CW7? It's because that's how my brain works. I thought it was like NPR or something like that. That, know. no. You guys just listen channels. <laughs> As this movie progresses, we we move from train car to train car. In the beginning, we're at the tail of the train. Yes, the the protagonist and most of the like pivotal characters are members of the rearmost car on this train, the Snowpiercer that is encircling the globe. It makes one circle of the globe every year. And in this class system that has emerged on this train... They live in the ass. They they live in the caboose. Oh, the ass. Yeah. They, no, they live in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> that's a train term. I was going to say, um, cabooses don't smell like that. <laughs> they just smell like cabooses. Just awful. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're living in squalor. Um, and kind of the way things evolved was... 
or at least we, we get this through context later on, but the people who paid for first class tickets sort of maintain their first class status. The people who paid for economy tickets are basically the working class on the train. And then people who got onto the train without tickets right before it went off, they didn't pay for a ticket, basically become... Steerage from Titanic. A little but worse. way like, worse. I, I, I'm thinking more like the slums of Mumbai or like the, yeah. you know, like in a derelict favela or something like oh, that. Yeah. Like you're talking about like some of the most sort of dire human circumstances, like horrid squalor. They were effectively meat that was kind of kept up. And not necessarily like in a, in a cannibalism way, but like when they would need a person for, for something, they would go to the tail to retrieve that person. We had the scene where they pulled the the violinist out. There was the scene where they pulled children out from the tail. And you don't know why, but they basically, when they need a body for God knows what, they're going to go fishing in the tail. And by they, you mean the people running the train, the first class and the one percent and the engineer. Yeah. Yes, the the yeah, the effect of one percent. Jeff Bezos of the train. <laughs> Right. So yeah, basically, the movie starts off with us in the tailmost section of the train, and there is, as you can imagine, a lot of unrest among these people because of the way they're being treated, because of the massive differences in rights, in accessibility, and... Privilege. Privilege, and basically everything. Um, so revolution foments among the passengers of the rearmost train, and they end up pushing their way into some of the next cars, which are basically like prison cars and and guard cars and a a few other things. And production cars. Uh, Before we get too far, I do want to say these people are living off of this like jello, basically, that comes in crates. And yeah, they're living off of what they call protein blocks. And that's the only food they ever get is these protein blocks. So during this revolution, they push all of these drum barrels uh, that they've basically made a small train out of to block the gates so that they can access the front, you know, train within a train. It's it's train train section, train section. Yeah. Uh, so that they can access the, the the production cars. They're gearing for taking over the water car so that they can hold the train hostage and start negotiations. Right. One thing that was interesting is it didn't waste any time. Um, the the context, the, the history is filled out as the movie is going. But I, I'd say within five minutes of the movie starting, they're already talking about the, the their, their attempts at revolution. Yeah, I mean, this is... Basically, you're like, you get exposed to it, and you're like, wow, this fucking sucks. And they're like, we're going to do something about it. And you're like, yeah, fucking do something about it, because this fucking sucks. Yeah, you're like, I feel miserable for you. And then they're like, when are we going to do this? I'm like, oh, 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 so they so they already have a plan. <laughs> it's, it's happening. It's happening, guys. It's, it's happening, happening right now. Uh, so they end up getting into, uh, as we said, the prisoner cars. And basically their goal was to, to get this guy who engineered the locking mechanisms on all of the doors in between the cars, all of the gates. And so they want to get him out so he can basically break them into the more forward cars. And they promise him two blocks of this drug called Cronol. Cronol in exchange for each gate that he opens. Yeah, Cronol is made from industrial waste and it, they, it's it's a drug. You know, it's they, they huff it. Um, so they're... they're it, it, ba- it basically looks like a large version of like the chalk cue 
that you like chalk a uh, pool cue with. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. That was what I was thinking too. But yeah, and that I think just illustrates like how desperate they are that their entire plan hinges on breaking this person out that they've never met that's rumored to be able to help them. Yeah. So um, yeah, they end up getting through the first three cars and then they bust this guy out he opens up the next car the next car is pretty much abandoned and that doesn't bode well because them's people went somewhere yeah and they show up in this car that has all these bunks and all these beds that are completely empty and they're all like where did the people go like what's happening so they move on to the next car you know with that in mind being like okay all obviously all these people went somewhere so they open up the next door and they see this guy that used to be in the tail section so these people that they have been taking are for a purpose that they have no idea what they're doing until they get there uh so they find out that this guy is the one making their protein blocks he's essentially been in the chef yeah he's indentured into being the chef for these protein blocks you can't see it but i'm doing air quotes he's the chef yeah really what's happening is they're grinding up cockroaches and turning them into jello and that's that's what they're 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 feeding people and that's what people have been eating for the last 17 years which to be fair I do feel like they were way more horrified than they probably rightfully should have been, with the exception of the sort of disparate living styles between the upper class and the lower class. Like, it, it, yes, I can see how, like, eating bugs would bother you when they're getting, like, fucking fragua and sushi and shit, but... It's quite clever. In It's quite clever and in like a true emergency fucking world shutting down type situation. Turning bugs into protein blocks is actually probably a pretty reasonable and like crafty solution. Right. I, 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 love Jello. I've eaten bugs. I have eaten many a bug myself. They're not bad. Once you get past the legs, it's, it's, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. They're, they're planning to open the next cart. Um, one thing that we didn't mention is when they busted out, we'll call him the doorsmith, the the man who can open doors. He also had them release his daughter, you know, 16, 17 year old daughter. Uh, they called her a train baby. Uh, she seems to have I, some kind of a clairvoyance. They did call her a train baby. No, they definitely did. I'm just saying like, I feel like train baby can mean a lot of things. <laughs> Within this context. Within this context, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, she was born on the train. As a baby. She was born as a baby. I, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm lockstep. Yep. I got you. Yep. She was a baby when she was born on a train. She was a baby when she was born. God damn it, Mark, you're right. She on was a, a baby when she was born. On a fucking train. I was, I was born a baby. <laughs> I was born at a very many, young age. Many years as, ago. As a baby. Many years Anyhow, ago. Uh, she has some Caleb kind of weird... Crawdad. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb Crawdad. <laughs> She's got this weird, like, clairvoyance that they don't do really declare. go into. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they never really explained her clairvoyance. It's just fine. Whatever. Sci-fi. But she, like, says, like, don't open the door. Don't open the door when they're about to open the next one. And then she screams, lock the door! But, of course, the door opens. And it's like, this is, when I was watching it, this is another episode of Mark Pops' Cherry, because I'm the only one who hadn't seen this movie. Um, that was my first indication that this movie is not what I think it's going to be. The doors open, and it's like medieval gimps yeah like where'd you get all that clothes bro you know 
Where'd, where'd you get all them clothes? Like a bunch of leather daddies with axes and spears and shit. Leather like... daddies. <laughs> These are leather daddies with axes. Um... Yeah, it was definitely like sex dungeon meets like Hellraiser. So Portland. Basically Portland. Yeah. 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 Oregon. The, 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 the Portland suburbs. Yep. Yep. I've been there. It's kind of nice. <laughs> leather daddies? Yeah. A lot of leather daddies in Portland. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, so there's a bloodbath. Yeah, it's many. It's it, fucking brutal. Many a blood yeah. was had. Uh, I thought it was it was interesting. I felt a little bit of whiplash in that moment. That like, what what is actually going on? Well, it, to be fair, to this point, motherfuckers were like dying like left and right up to this point as well. Like, yeah. it, it, this was not new, but this was probably like the most protracted hack slash fest to this point. There was more leather daddies in this scene than there were in any other scene. Is what you're saying? That. That is 100% accurate. Correct. The proportion of Leather Daddies in this scene was an order of magnitude higher than the Leather Daddies in other scenes. This is, yeah. That's that's absolutely true. Mostly. It's a lot of, like, you know, one thing I thought was kind of fucking cool? It's a lot of axe fighting. Yeah. It's like everybody had a fucking hatchet. And, like, I feel like that's not a weapon that's, like, highlighted a lot in film. Dude, it's like we were transported to Sex Dungeon Norway. S- Sex Dungeon Norway, new band name I call it. <laughs> Sex Dungeon Norway, on tour now. One thing that this scene, like, really shocked me for is in the scenes leading up to it, you saw these, like, men in the background who wore suits and they had, I don't know, they had expressions on their face that, like, led the viewer to think that they had some kind of importance to the, the overall plot. Particularly the, the man with, like, the longer hair and the goatee. They were Bebop and Rocksteady. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were basically goons, but, like, higher goons. They weren't They weren't just fucking... They weren't hen- just they weren't nobody he- goons. They weren't henchmen. Yeah. They, they were important enough to have, like, fucking suits. Yeah, and, and like, the, the camera would kind of, like, linger on them for a minute, so you, you thought that there was, like, a like a larger plot device that they were a part of, but one of them just gets straight up impaled. You know, again, just kind of furthering that, like, as we're watching this movie, we're, we're just shedding our expectations as we go from car to car, because I, I truly had no idea what to expect uh, by the end of this scene. Also, I don't know if you're going to go into this, but there's a fucking awesome part of this scene where, like, all of the fucking leather daddies put on these night vision goggles. Oh my god, that's... And then that's, they go into this, like, super long tunnel, and it just goes pitch black. So that's... that's and they in, start massacring the in good guys. In my opinion, that is the best part of this scene, because it hard... It, it takes a hard left. So they're in the middle of this, like, fucking bloodbath. People are dying left and right. Leather daddies... But on both sides, Train, right? yeah. It's a fair tail fight, enders, Like, everybody... It's mutual losses, right? They stop the fight in the middle. This Japanese guy with a bullhorn gets up and he's like, we're approaching the bridge. And the leather daddies start counting down and like pumping their axes in the air. They're counting down from 10 to 1. And then they go, Happy New Year! And then every, like every everybody's disposition changes for like four or five seconds. And, you know, one person turns to the other and it's like, oh God, I hate getting older. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> he goes, man, I fucking hate getting older. I fucking hate it. <laughs> And then Tilda Swindon comes up and she's like, approximately, or exactly 74% of you will die. And then she puts on these fucking opera glasses. They shut off the lights and they go into this tunnel. And the bloodbath just picks up where it left off, but in the dark. And it's definitely one-sided now. Oh, yeah. Because the leather daddies have 
night vision goggles. And they're just massacring the good guys. It's the last thing you want a leather daddy to have. Night vision goggles. Night vision and a hatchet. The only advantage against a leather daddy is that they have very poor night vision. So you get a leather daddy with night vision goggles. Oh, you're fucked. You are fucked. I'm pretty sure that was actually a line. We're fucked. Oh, it, it wasn't exactly we're fucked. It was in Korean and it was translated into you guys are fucked. Duolingo. Yes. <laughs> this this podcast brought to you by Duolingo. Uh, Leather Daddy's fucking people. Yeah. Yep. Um, in Korean. <laughs> in Korean. Okay, so I think we've belabored this particular car long enough, I suppose. Uh, All right, so where, where do they go after this? What happens after this? Oh, Tilda Swinton gets captured. Yes. So Monkey Man, because I don't know a better fucking descriptor for Gray. him. Huh? Gray. Yeah, Monkey Man, that's what I said. Yeah. Uh, they had this one guy on the good guy's side who was exceedingly limber and knew how to throw knives. I don't know where this... This motherfucker trained with, like, the Shaolin monks. I mean, this guy was, like, jumping around, hanging from things, killing motherfuckers. Parkour! Yeah, hardcore parkour. And anyway, he, like, runs from the back, fucks up a few people along the way, and then throws a knife into Tilda Swinton's leg. And then Chris Evans has to basically decide whether to save Edgar, played by Jamie Bell, Jamie Bell, or capture Tilda Swinton, realizing that she would basically be the key to the, the forward cars. And uh, he chooses Tilda Swinton, and one of them suit motherfuckers shanks Edgar. Which probably would have happened anyway. So, you know, probably made the right choice. Human Torch. What's the next card? There, there is kind of, I'm sorry, but like, okay, let's explore this for a second. This just popped into my head. Right? Okay. So, movie about a train, right? A lot of people dying. Okay? Literally the trolley problem in philosophy, right? Like, a trolley or a train is barreling down the tracks, and it's headed towards a whole bunch of people who are tied up on the tracks. There is an alternate track that has a single person, you know, and there's like a billion versions of this with varying parameters but, but yeah do you do switch you, tracks and kill the one yeah to save do you the pull many? the thing to to kill the one to save the many but now you are you are responsible you are culpable you have made the decision it's not just the uh, mechanisms of the universe at play yeah curtis he, knew he that basically edward... did that like yeah. he he sacrificed edgar in order to get tilda swinton knowing that if he had her at knife point he could force all of the other bad guys to put their weapons down and save everybody else. Yeah. And that is one of the permutations of the trolley problem is like, well, what if the one person is your so-and-so, your kid, your yeah. friend, your this, your that? Because um, it does. I mean, it does change the... The good of the one it, versus the good of the many. Yeah, and it changes your perception on yeah. who that is and who they are and all this shit. But So we had a trolley problem within a trolley that was currently experiencing a problem. Quite literally. Yeah. Exactly what i was saying yes isn't Inception. that isn't that kind of cool the trolley I mean, I, trolley problem I, I, honestly problem. i hadn't thought about it but yeah i hadn't i didn't think about it until right now i didn't think about it in the moment i was watching it but now that i think about it it's like i mean the director could either or the writers or whatever could have like very explicitly been trying to conjure that to people's mind i don't know i, just, I, I thought it was kind of an interesting oh, yeah. bit for sure well and he hedges a few times he's like do i run back and save my buddy or do I capture this person to guarantee the safety of all of them? And so he, he, he rolled the dice knowing that Edgar was probably going to die. And Totes did. Yeah. Totes did. He died brutally. So now he's, we've got Tilda Swinton and the other guys laid down their arms and are now captives. Um, 
and they decide to march on with a a sort of forward party comprised of Chris Evans, Octavia Spencer, Ewan Bremer, uh, his, name, his character's name is Andrew. Who else? Oh, Monkey Man. Rick uh, Ray. Yeah, Mon- Monkey Man. Good looking fellow. With a super cool hair. dude. Yeah. He also, this was super cool because he didn't speak English, but he had the words surrender or die tattooed <laughs> on his arms. I don't think he spoke at all. Yeah, he had he was, no think, lines think in he, the movie. No, I think he was mute. I think that was the, I think oh, that was the whole thing. I think he was supposed to be mute. That's interesting. Or potentially, because a lot of people are like missing bits and pieces, maybe he like didn't have a tongue. Yeah. Maybe his like tongue got cut out or some shit, but like, I'm pretty sure that guy couldn't speak. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... We're moving forward through the train with Tilda Swinton as a captive with these four good guys in tow. Yep. We hit the the water cart and it comes to bear that this is not going to be their their saving grace. They're going to need to push on. The water car is not the ace in the hole that they thought it was. Because the water car only controls the water for the back of the train. It doesn't control the water for the front of the train. So they can't negotiate with the bargaining chip they thought they had, so they have to push forward and possibly face more losses. Yep. Um, okay, so we got the water cart. Do we go... I think the next thing is is the kindergarten class. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> We're so going to have to explore they that. They pass through an aquarium car, which is kind of cool, but totally unimportant, and then they show up it, in it, this... It was basically the setup for the whole, like, everything's about balance and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. But, but yes. They eat what? sushi. Why did they have a manta ray in there? Like, you'd think... I'm sorry, this is a small gripe, but, like, if we're going to have fish on a train, movie called it, uh, you're probably only going to put the fish that you're going to consume, right? I would. I don't know. That's totally aside. Anyway, we're moving past that. They eat sushi. They move on. Such a weird scene. No, like they literally stop. And like one thing that's interesting is as this forward party is moving through the train, we're passing by people who are who like work in those cars, and they don't seem to like care that there is a posse of exceedingly dirty, bleeding people. Yeah, yeah. Like they they just they open up a car and they sit down at this bar and they eat sushi. Like it's so random. But and I, it think, I feel seems like again, so normal. Yeah, I don't know if I would like go as far as saying this is like a director's hallmark, but I feel like that's the kind of consistency between this movie and like Parasite that I feel like that sort of break in tempo where you're mm-hmm. sitting there and you're going, "What the fuck is going on? Why are they sitting and eating sushi in the middle? They were massacring each other thirty yeah. seconds ago. They were killing Mother each days. other with axes and hatchets and spears and clubs, and now they're sitting down and eating sashimi. Like what the?" actual fuck that that i feel like is i think one of the better elements of this film but i don't think it's for everybody i think it could be it's it's intended to be very jarring and i feel like it can be sometimes so jarring that some people don't like it but i feel like that's the lever that the director is intentionally trying to pull to be like fucking we're not massacring anymore full stop now we're eating sushi and you're like what What is happening yeah so we move past sushi train doors open again uh, we've got just a class, like a kindergarten class, you know, with a bunch of children, and you've got a like a pregnant teacher up there who's talking about the history of the train, really just indoctrinating the younger generation with the ideals that they need to perpetuate this like like mythical existence of the engine and of the train, the sacred engine. Yeah, they they do they treat the mechanics of the train as the mechanic. 
the, or the the engineer the yeah as as this kind of prophet it's the religion that the occupants of the train practice more mm-hmm. or less you know um, they've been indoctrinated to believe that the engine is sacred and that it's this magical piece of machinery that will be the salvation of the human race yeah um the the children are learning about past revolts that took place on the train it's really interesting and allison pill plays the teacher and she is also pregnant and just wildly creepy um like batshit crazy my my absolute one of my absolute favorite parts of this movie is when (laughs) she's uh she's singing a song and it's it's literally like this sort of like it's a little ditty you know and it's dun, 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 and, and she sings and what happens if the engine stops and all the kids go we all freeze and die <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like have like hand motions and gestures to go along with this it, my favorite outstanding. part my favorite part of the song is when she's sitting at the revolving piano and she makes like the orgasm face as she's singing this song about the sacred engine and that they all freeze and die if the sacred engine stops i'm like what the fuck is this movie it is very i mean it's very like this scene is i think meant to be the most powerful metaphor for the nationalistic metaphor yeah right so like the 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 nationalism that arose on board in order to protect the interests of the few this scene is meant to highlight that by showing the way that the kids are indoctrinated to behave to behave and to and and to basically protect uh, the status quo right okay so while they're in the kindergarten train Man, what what was the catalyst for? So they, uh, Wilford is the engineer of the sacred engine, and the 18th New Year uh, celebration of the engine. They bring this cart full of eggs, and it's like, all right, here's a special treat. Here's the eggs, the New Year eggs. Everybody gets one, and so they all take an egg, and they're like you know, looking at the new year thing and and watching the little video on the screen. And then the egg cart gets to the tail section and they're like, wow, I thought the chicken went extinct. How did you get these eggs? And the bald albino henchman, he's like, well, that's not all that's extinct and reaches into the eggs and pulls out a fucking machine gun and starts massacring people. While the children are just there. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No. Yes and no. The bald albino starts mowing down the people who were in the sort of rear party. And the teacher... And the teacher reached into the basket of eggs and pulls out, like, an MP5 and starts just, like, laying weight. She she ends up killing uh, uh, Ewan Bremmer's character, Andrew, and starts shooting at the rest of them with the kids, like, there. Still in the room. And she is, like, in this sort of fitful euphoria where she's like laughing hysterically and she's, she's saving firing. the children by killing the tail section yeah i mean it, it was it was mental and just like dripping in metaphor and terrifying and then i think monkey man saved them gray saves them yeah he, he threw, throws threw a, a knife, knife into her neck yeah he jumps over one of the pews in the kindergarten car and throws a knife into the teacher's neck and that's how they get out of the kindergarten car all right all all like sort of guns and knives and necks aside can we all just agree that like a cart of hard-boiled eggs 
would be like a pretty welcome treat in most circumstances. Yeah. I'd be I'd be so fucking Don't don't you make that face. Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. I don't know, dude. I think for me, I'm done with like one. I'm not saying I'll eat the whole cart. I'm just saying like everybody loves a hard stoked, boiled egg. Though. Little salt and pepper. Yeah. I'm down. Like all you need is like a little salt and pepper on the side of the cart for people to enjoy. Maybe a little sriracha for those who are like oh, a little yeah. bit more a little bit more, you now, know. Now if fancy. they brought a cart full of deviled eggs, I'd be knee deep in that shit. Yeah, it's funny that it's like, you know, oh, do you want to eat six hard boiled eggs? It's like, no, that's too many hard boiled eggs. What if I cut them in half and mix the yolks with like mustard and mayonnaise? Oh yeah, fucking serve me up six hard boiled yeah, eggs. Buddy. I'll fucking slam those things. Yeah. But I, I just, I feel like egg cart needs to come around. Yeah. I feel Dude, like if I, an egg cart showed I, up to my house, I'd be down. Listen, ice cream trucks had their day. They did fine. I like them. I respect them. I have a super creepy ice cream truck driver in my neighborhood, and I'm not convinced that he's not a pedophile. All right. That, as may be, egg guy will definitely be equally as creepy. Uh, it's true. You cannot be egg guy without being creepy. He's probably got a gimpy but, leg and, like, a bad eye. Yes, and he definitely smells, and probably not of rotten eggs like, no. you would, like you would suspect probably smells like chicken shit blood and tears yeah <laughs> blood and tears and they're not his tears nope <laughs> that is a wet a man wet who magic. smells of other people's tears now that is a horrifying image a wet that's mattress a, in the back that, of the that, truck that's a smell image that's a smimage Ooh, i like it Love oh it. my good god it's 40 smimages 40 smimages yeah um, Brought to you by Max. Okay, so <laughs> pregnant kindergarten teacher has been stabbed. Right, <laughs> all is well with the world. Um, <laughs> We're all happy about this. <laughs> what's the next card? I think I think we go through like a we we. It's a rapid succession. It's more of like a like a montage, more or less, of a few other cards. One of which, you know, you've got like office spaces where people are. It's like a library. There's a dentist. Yeah, and not, a tailor. Yeah, the, those those were kind of interesting because those were like sort of your classic uh, long haul train cars, where where like there's a narrow hallway on one side. Think Harry Potter, right? Um, there's like a narrow hallway on one side, and there's sort of a large wooden sort of mahogany style section of the the car with maybe like five per car. And these had clearly been converted into businesses, yeah. like a tailor and a dentist and that kind of shit, which yeah. was kind of neat, honestly, to see sort of like the amenities um, and how they, they got knitted in. And then you like think about that in the stark contrast of like, again, the squalor that the rear car was living in. Right. And then they're walking through this seeing like, oh my God, you guys have a fucking dentist? Yeah. My teeth are rotting out of my head. Yeah. I'm yeah. eating bug protein blocks, and you guys are getting your cavities filled. Like fuck you, fuck right. you. And it, and it, they they continue to kind of hammer that home. We go through a few other like there's like a cocktail, you know, cart where you've just got people who are wearing their fancy dresses, fancy pants. Think Great Gatsby. Yeah, very much like that. You know. So so I'm sorry. This is this is very like opportune timing because you said Great Gatsby. But one thing that I did want to comment on on this whole movie, but especially sort of like the second half after they got past the leather daddies and they started getting into the first class, right? Or the upper classes. 
Um, one thing that I thought was like such a neat sort of stylistic element of this movie was that the upper classes were all so so clearly done in sort of the Art Deco style. Like everything in front of the water car, the water car was very Art Deco, and then the outside shots of the train, especially like the head car, were very Art Deco. And I really fuck it. Not that I'm like you know particularly good at picking out particular styles but like art deco i think is like fairly recognizable yeah. and i think they were they were going for that in a very very real way which was kind of cool and i think it, it not only lent a stylistic um boon to the film but i think also it did a great job at sort of identifying stylistically the change in class yeah right it was very sure. it was very cold very industrial before that and then suddenly you get into these this area and you're like, yeah, this is this is fucking like the decadence. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, this is decadent. This was, you know, and and especially like Art Deco is a good example of something that's like Art Deco was an art style that transcended media a lot better than most art styles. Oh right? yeah, like a lot of art styles are very stagnant within a, a particular medium. But Art Deco had its fingers in transportation. There were Art Deco trains. It had, you know, in fucking architecture, in cars, in painting, in cars, in 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 fucking radios. I mean, like we went down to the um, the Edsel Ford Estate down in like Gross Point, and like you look through that those houses, and you're like, like the built-in headboards were Art Deco. Yeah. And and they just got into everything, and I think they did a great job at sort of using that style and its association with sort of like wealth and the growth of industry, highlighting the changing class using it. Yeah, right. Think like the folks at the capital of like the Hunger Games within that universe. You know, very just mm-hmm. fancy, you know, over the top. Um, so we we continue through there. There aren't really too many plot beats as we're kind of churning through this they they go through like a there's like a rave cart where you just have a bunch of people partying um uh, doing like drugs a, and fucking each other yeah it's like an orgy cart um <laughs> there's a, a sauna cart and actually at in the sauna all right i'm i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say orgy cart orgy cart orgy cart new band there's also an opium den cart yeah or a chronal den car same shit yeah uh so by the time they make it to the sauna car we have uh we have another bit of action henchman catches up with them yeah one of the people that they had thought that they had taken out or or something to that effect one of the suit goons i i would say not a not a leather daddy but like a. no i would say i would say it's rock steady yeah yeah Yeah. from the original bebop and yes bebop was the one who got skewered rock steady is the like a shish kebab yeah. So he catches up with them, <laughs> knocks off of several of the main characters. Kills Octavia Spencer. And Greg. Monkey Man. And wasn't there another one? He tries to kill Namco, but Namco oh, doesn't right. die. Yes, you're right. Yep. Namco is the security door expert, uh, but he's able to kill Gray, Monkey Man. He's able to kill Octavia Spencer, and he's able to incapacitate Curtis, uh, Chris Evans, um, the human torch. But Namco, <laughs> the security door guy, uh, is able to like pin the guy down with a hatchet on his neck and try and suffocate the guy. And Chris Evans wakes up suddenly, stabs him in the ribs with a kukri machete, and then they're able to move on. Which, I mean, that whole scene is 
so fucking dark because then he goes back to Tanya, Octavia Spencer's character, and is showing her. He's like, hey, we're going to find your son. We're going to find Timmy, who they took in the beginning of the movie to do God knows what. And pulls out of her pocket uh, the picture that one of the characters had drawn of Timmy and was like, we're going to find him. And that's when she dies, just staring at this image of her child. And it's really fucking heartbreaking. And then Curtis wipes his eyes and cleans the blood off his face and keeps going because he doesn't have a choice. And it's this really powerful, like heartbreaking scene that you're, I mean, all he's watched all of his friends die left and right. And now he's pursuing Wilford, the engineer, uh, one car at a time with a couple of drug addicts that know how to open doors. And that's all that's left of the original like war party. Yeah. Yeah. All the main characters are dead except for him. So they, they make it to the final car. Uh, there's like one more door in front of them. It turns out that the drug addict uh, has actually been collecting this, was it Chronol? Because it's it's incredibly flammable. It's explosive. And his grand plan was actually to make it to this car and then blast a hole through um, an exterior door uh, because he has this theory that the temperatures outside have, have risen sufficiently that they could survive given proper attire. So there's a there's a back and forth between him and the Human Torch, um, <laughs> but ultimately that doesn't really go anywhere. The final door opens up, and we kind of enter the final phase of the movie where he meets the engineer. Yeah, Wil- Wilford Wilbur Wilford Wilford and uh, Wilbur played by. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yep. And he has steak for the first time in 18 years. At least 18 years. I don't think he ate any, though. I don't. He was pretty traumatized by that point. It, it, it's steak, Mark. Yeah. You don't just let it go to waste. That's true. Uh, and it, it was, was medium rare. It was medium rare. He didn't even ruin it. It was very... He wasn't like, oh, you want some ketchup on your steak? It was... How the fuck do you guys remember, like, what it was cooked at? Like, is fucking meat. Um, because we're gentlemen, and gentlemen... Remember the meat? We always, we always remember the meat. He was also drinking a red wine. I believe it was a Merlot. Get out of here. Could have been Kool-Aid. <laughs> um, as far as I remember. Uh, but this scene is very much like Neo meets the architect from The Matrix. Yeah. You know. No, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. The, yeah. The, the curtain is pulled open. It's revealed that all of these previous uh, revolutions, you know, revolts, have all including been, his including this one yeah have all been staged to try to balance the population you know both in their numbers but also through uh, a sadistic let's say it's a cull basically it's a cull it's yeah that, but there's also like an emotional like fear element to it like they're trying to keep hope alive but then also you know knock it back in its place like they're, they're trying... yeah like you can't let desperation grow because when des- when people get desperate, they do horrific things. And what you thought you were watching the entire time was desperation. You thought you were watching what people do when they get desperate. And basically what you learn is this guy was not allowing them to get desperate. He was bringing them just close enough to where they would act, but not so far 
that the desperation would actually spiral out of control and kill everybody on the train and and, and destroy sort of the balance that he was seeking. And yeah. it's it's revealed in this conversation that John Hurt's character, Gilliam, uh, was a partner okay, in sorry. this whole thing. I'm sorry, I gotta say, it, it was definitely Gilliam. It was Gilliam? Yeah, and I only say that because the Gilliam with the hard... <laughs> The hard jump makes me think of the Key and Peel East versus West Bowl. When he does <laughs> Leah's Maxwell Gilliam. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so Gilliam, um, Gilliam is is one of the titular characters in the uh, tale section, and he's the one that's like inspiring Curtis to go on this revolution. And Which is hilarious because we're all like John Hurt's in this movie, blah blah blah, and then we never talked about him. Yeah, but that's who John Hurt. That's plays. who. That's who John Hurt is. Yeah. Um. And Gilliam inspires Curtis to go on and become the leader and like you know take the train. And it's revealed that Wilford is actually friends with Gilliam the whole time and is having conversations with him via phone you know, that's like connected to each car and has orchestrated all of these revolts and manufactured all of the fear and anxiety that happens to get them to this point to maintain their delicate ecosystem. Yeah. Which is deeply fucked up. Yeah, they're ba- they're basically like pushing people to conflict in order to justify the cull in the population and to sort of keep balance as it were. Um and I, yeah, it's 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 horrendous. It makes sense in sort of a really sort of cold, detached, fucked up kind of way. Um, like if you just genuinely had no moral compass, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, if you're a by the numbers guy and you're trying to maintain the population of your train without manufacturing another car to house more people, it absolutely makes sense because you have to have population control. But from a moral and emotional standpoint... This guy it's is horrendous. a fucko. Yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely demented, and it's and it's like fucked up too because basically you learn the entire thing is a ruse, right? Yeah. Like they're massacring people. They're having people massacre each other, right? Under the presumption that, um, well, it's good because it'll keep the population low, right? And and they they certainly like kind of highlight what humanity is capable of, given that that unchecked desperation. There's a there's a quick scene. I think it was actually probably before this this the scene that we're currently talking about. Yeah, it was. It was, he was talking to uh, the gate opener guy yeah. before this. Oh God! Opened and this 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 was a very good and revealing scene. Yeah, it it uh, he talks about the first month of their experience on the train, and you discover that when the folks that did not pay for their ticket boarded the tail end of the train, they were sealed off for a whole month without food, and they resorted to cannibalism. And you find out that the main character who you've been rooting for, the Human Torch, um, was one of the monstrous elements in that in that circumstance and he kind of carries this guilt around his best friend who had died earlier in the movie was was a it gets really fucked up yeah he tells this story and he tells it and then basically reveals who the characters are right he says when we first got on so i don't mean to jump in no, you, no. you can finish it if you want but much that, better he he basically tells a story about you know we started eating the week first 
uh, because they were easier. I, I got this quote written down, which was just so fucking demented. But he goes, uh, you know what I hate about myself? That I know what people taste like. And I know that babies taste best. I mean, that quote alone is fucking chilling. Unbelievable. Um, but the, but then he proceeds to tell this story about how this, there was this woman who had a newborn baby and these guys came at her with knives. They killed her and were about to kill and eat the baby. And just as they were about to do that, a guy steps in and he says, give me the knife. They give him the knife and he cuts off his own arm and gives it to them and says, eat this instead of the baby. And then he reveals that he was the guy with the knife. The baby was his best friend, Edgar, and uh, the who, guy that who cuts, later had died. And the guy that cuts off his arm is Gilliam. John Hurt's character. So basically, he was the monster in this scenario, and he was about to eat Edgar. And John Hurt cut off his own arm to stop him from doing it so he would have something to eat. And then he said, like, later on, it just became... It, you know, almost like a miracle. It was like almost common practice. People were sawing off limbs left and right uh, in order to basically sustain the population so nobody would end up killing somebody else in order to eat. Shortly after that, they developed the protein blocks, bug protein blocks, which, again, really fucked up. You're kind of sitting there going like... Better than cannibals. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of better than eating babies. You're like, looking back, I'm glad they ate bugs. I mean, low bar, better than eating babies. Low bar. Yeah. But, like, it's fucking, like... Yeah, eat the eat the bug block. Yeah. Eat, eat, eat the bug block. Yeah. Um, so that all gets revealed. That, like, basically, he is on this moral quest for redemption. Um, oh, he also reveals that in this, when people were sawing off their limbs... He tried and failed to cut off his limbs or his one of his arms in order to sort of sustain the population. And he feels like a failure from multiple points. First of all, he let himself get to the point where he was he killed somebody and was trying to eat a baby. And then he also, once he sort of came to his senses, was unable to sort of do the thing that all of these other people were doing in order to participate in this very fucked up but also sort of like socially responsible activity of cutting off your limbs he um, was unable to reciprocate and redeem himself for his acts of murder and cannibalism by sacrificing himself so, so it's he, kind of like a double it's a double whammy of like guilt yeah. yeah and then he also feels probably guilty on top of all that because he has become the de facto leader and he knows that he has like the most to atone for and he's fucking sitting there like and people are like rooting for him and saying you're the leader now and you're in charge and all this stuff and he's like i was the worst monster previously at one point he says how can i be a leader with two good arms yeah which didn't make sense at the time but but given context retrospectively once you learn this you're like okay that actually makes a lot of sense right okay shifting back to where we were um he's in with ed helm or ed helm ed harris <laughs> yep it, it, very different movie very different movie yeah. it, it turns out that they had been grabbing the children from the tail of the train to assist them in operating the train you know there were certain parts that had worn out over time that they used children to replace those specific parts 
Um, in the beginning of the movie, you see them doing this like repetitive mechanical motion with their hand and the camera kind of zooms in on it and it makes a it makes a point to, to show you that, but there's no context given, there's, there's no explanation for it. They tie that knot at the end here, that motion, that repetitive motion is the motion that that the children are doing within the engine of the train to keep it moving. So they had... Yeah, it looked like one of the kids was, like, lubricating, like, mm-hmm. like yeah. feeding in, like, axle grease or something like that. Yeah, so it kind of... It's revealed that the true reason why they keep the people at the tail of the train alive is so that they can harvest the children to help operate the engine. They're a breeding the... factory for, you know, Parts. a replacement part. That, but I think also, like, I think the the most fucked up element is sort of, like, the metaphor for, like, you know, our current sort of, like, post-capitalist systems is, like... It's built on it's, facts. It's, it's basically, like, you cannot have the middle class only. You have to have the lower class and the middle class so they can war with each other and kill each other off so to cull the, the population so the upper class can benefit and be shielded from the sort of hardships of actually living so the engineer and the first class passengers were well well shielded from the losses because the leather daddies and the lower class were fucking massacring each other and all of the mouths that weren't being fed following that massacre freed up a lot of resources for those at the top yeah the the rich kept the the lower class and the middle class warring with each other so that the lower class didn't and I quote the French, eat the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can kind of... Put a bow on it? Yeah. They ended up blowing up the chronal on the side door and it derailed the entire train. Killing everybody. Killing almost everybody. And it happened while they were in the mountains and they end up, what, they get out of the train? Yeah, so like two characters... The the daughter of the door man. Yuna. Uh you know, she survives and Octavia Spencer's daughter or son, son survives. Timmy. Um they walk out of the train and boom, they're looking at a polar bear and you know like they're gonna get eaten. Like that's just what's gonna happen. But it was pretty far off, but yeah, maybe. I think that the the message in the movie was that like, oh you're looking at nature and it's coming back, but like, you know, come on. I think one of the I think the message might be possibly that like a polar bear is an exceedingly large predator and it would not be around seventeen years later, eighteen years later. If it didn't have if it didn't have fucking food. That's true. And so I think they were trying to say that like there's enough out there to sustain this polar bear. There's probably enough to sustain a handful of people. In the words of Jeff Goldblum, life finds a way. Yes. To eat the survivors of this movie. Yes. But there was no lysine contingency in this movie. So I like it. I like it. And I, I, I think can we put a put That's a it? put a bow on that? Yeah. Credits, roll. yeah. Credits roll. Um Let's go through our thoughts on this. I I, was, I gotta say it again. The casting is fucking amazing. It's yep. genius. The casting is so fucking good. Yep. I so this movie, I mean, it's based off of a novel, but it's also come out now as a series that I also have not seen. I have not seen either. Uh, I think that might be a better format, maybe, for the universe that they're building. There were many times during this movie where I wish that we could spend more time 
on the element that they were that they were discussing, but they had to keep moving forward. The train just wasn't going to stop. That that doesn't mean that I that I didn't enjoy the movie thoroughly, but they're just I felt like we were dipping a Morton's toe into a universe that was much larger than they had the time to flesh out. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I I think part of the story that was left untold on purpose, I mean, the director intentionally left this out because otherwise it would be a three-hour movie, is the backstory. I mean, we, 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 we know what happened, right? Global warming was coming to a climax. They had to do something. They released this chemical and they, they overcorrected in the wrong direction and fucked the whole world. So I think part of the story that they could expand upon was Wilford's genius in creating this arc, creating this this halo, creating this saving grace that was this train. Because he is the only reason that humanity didn't go extinct in a man-made ice age. However fucked up it may be, he is the only reason that humanity didn't go extinct. One of those fine lines between genius and madness kind of thing. Exactly. So that's a story that I feel like could be fully fleshed out in a series. Because, I mean, you, you know these series that go from present day to previous times to give you backstory and then do these flashbacks and then jump back into present day. I feel like that could be fully fleshed out in a series. But it just... you don't have the screen time to explain it all. So you give contextual clues, you give enough backstory to understand what's going on without explaining ad nauseum what's happened. Mm. I think the uh, the writing of this movie was, Genius. was great. I thought the, the dialogue was both believable and very advancing. There was very little fat to be trimmed. Um, it, it just, the movie moved. I thought the concept was, like, super creative. The fucking Foley artist must have been working full fucking time on this one. Oh, Man. yeah. Oh, my God. There was so much crunching and squishing. And, I mean, the every fucking axe blow. <laughs> fucking brutal. Um, but it was, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I fucking, I really jam on this movie. There's a lot to like in this movie. Is there anything we didn't like other than the manta ray? Um, well, this isn't, again, I... This goes back to my, my previous point. Like, I didn't like that we didn't spend more time in the tale. I feel like there were many stories that, that we could have seen. And so when we left it, we didn't go back to it. I, I felt rushed and I didn't I didn't enjoy that. However, it was already a two hour movie. So I, I kind of hesitate to like hold that against it. You know, I think that that what that is, is that's a compliment to the to the world building and less of a criticism of the movie. You know, um, just and, and, and that the world building is so good that the movie is unable to do it justice within its runtime. So I call that a criticism, maybe. I don't it's not really. I think that's more of a, a tip of the hat to the writing. Any critiques from you, Jackson? Um, honestly, this is going to sound totally ridiculous coming from me because I always have thoughts. But I don't think I would change a single thing about this movie. I mean, I loved it from start to finish. It is a wild ride. Um, it, it gives you whiplash every time you enter a new car because in the early stages of the movie, you're, you're, you're in the tail section. It's all industrial. It's all slums. And you move to a more modern but still industrial section. So you're, you're still under the impression that this is 
a labor train. You are still under the impression that everybody is either a prisoner or a passenger. And then you start moving into the absurd. You get into this wildly beautiful aquarium car that has these exotic fish and there's a a hibachi grill you know sushi expert standing there that serves sushi twice a year for the purpose of balance and you're like what the fuck is this movie and then you get into the kindergarten car and then you get into the new year's rave car and then you move on to the extravagance of having a dentist and a tailor and then you move on to the great gatsby you know everybody's drinking like it's the end of the world car and you're like what is happening every time you go through that door there's a new adventure waiting for you and you have no idea what's coming next and i think that's what i love about this movie the most is that despite everything that's happened you still have zero context as to what you're walking into so what you're saying is there's a lot you didn't like. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot I I didn't really care for either. So, um, I mean, maybe I'd probably if I had to choose something, it would probably be like I would I would recast Chris Evans as like Jack Black. Mm. Fair, definitely. Um, I think you know. A lot of the scenes could have been enhanced with a little bit of, you know, that <laughs> I feel like that, you know, he could have done something with the leather daddies, if you know oh, what I'm saying, absolutely. right? Oh, absolutely. Jack Black would do something with the yes, leather daddies. Yes, oh, he would. Sure. Kick-a-poo! <laughs> kick-a-poo! He, he would kick-a-poo. <laughs> um, are we ready to move on to quotes? I think so. Yeah, um, I'm going to throw mine out there. Um, my my quotes come from the, the beginning portion of the movie. Um, you son of a bitch, you better not take my quote. Yeah. Or mine. Um, so this takes place when Tilda Swinton is... Oh, you motherfucker, yeah. he's going to take it. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's talk, she's talking to, to the crowd and she's she's trying to instill in them the vision of their place. You know, she says, know your place, be your place. You know, she's talking about a shoe, she's talking about a hat. She, she takes a shoe and she puts it on top of a man's head. And, you know, does, does that look right? You know, the, the shoe belongs on the foot. You know, you are the foot, you know, more or less. Um, yeah, know, know your place, be your place. Can, can I interject before we finish quotes? In that scene, I have this vision in my head of a specific episode of Friends, and I'm fairly certain it's the first episode of Friends where we meet Rachel, and she's talking to her dad, and she says, it's like somebody's been saying my whole life, you're a shoe, you're a shoe, you're a shoe, you're a shoe. Well, what if I don't want to be a shoe? What if I want to be a hat? No, I don't want a hat. It's a metaphor, Daddy. <laughs> love it uh so mark i'm gonna piggyback on yours because the, you left off the very end part of that quote do it because that that was also one of that was also the quote i was going to choose she says know your place keep your place be a shoe and it's that be a shoe that's just like nails at home i, I think i think we can all agree that being the foot is less good than being the head yeah like <laughs> right yeah. um and then um sort of piggybacking on that in the same scene she is holding up the shoe and she says this is size 10 chaos 
Well, because it, it, it's after the shoe is used as a, like, it's it's thrown at one of the... Um, kind of like George W. Bush style in that press yeah, conference, right? Yeah, like, one of the oppressors, you know, a, a character that we haven't talked about, but I don't think we, we necessarily need to. It, She's it's, not super important. Yeah, it, it's thrown forward. It strikes one of the 1% folks who is there oppressing. Um, yeah. <laughs> as they do. As they do, oppressors be pressures. Just they're oppressing, fucking oppressors, bastards, bastards. Oh, I've met people, (laughs) people. What a bunch of bastards! I would say so. so My my quote comes from the earliest part of the movie. Um, the The revolution is spurred on by Curtis receiving these secret messages from somewhere up in the front of the train. And the the messages are inserted into these protein blocks, and the whole tail section is on board, and they're like, hey, I found it. Hey, it's over here. Or, you know, they're, they're walking through the car checking the protein blocks for these secret messages. And Octavia Spencer, Tanya, uh, she says, it's over here. And her son, Timmy, is the one that has the secret message in his protein block. And they're trying to bargain with him. You ever tried to bargain with a five-year-old? It's really fucking hard. And so they're like, all right, we'll trade both of our protein blocks for your protein block. And he goes, no, and runs off throughout the train. And he's like jumping up and down and like parkour and jumps up into, you know, these other people's beds and shit. And Tanya goes, why did you let him up there? And Edgar goes, I didn't let him. He's five. He's a very nimble five-year-old. <laughs> that's that's probably the only levity you get from this, this movie. Not, this is not like a laugh a minute kind of movie. No, it, the only laugh you really get is watching Edgar try to chase down this five-year-old kid who all he wants in exchange for the secret message that could be the savior of the revolution is an hour with the ball. The ball. It's like the only ball. It's, it's the only ball, and it's made of God knows what. It looked like human skin, but I don't want to insinuate that. It's like a rubber band ball. Yeah, but worse. Yes, let's say rubber bands. Yeah. Not four skins. Yeah. Or five skins. New band name, I call it. <laughs> sure as hell ain't no six skins. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I, we should be so lucky. Uh, <laughs> severed five skins. New band name, I call it. Oh, severed five skins. Um, Do we, uh, we want to throw around some ratings? Real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get this done in under 20 seconds. Um, there is a scene with the leather daddies when they're sitting there, and like I don't know the train rocked or like something happened, but they're all like they've stopped fighting while some fucking crazy shit's happening, and one of the main characters is right next to a leather daddy and looks over, <sighs> and the guy smiles at him, and I I swear to fucking god that it's a reference to the mouth of Sauron. In oh, Lord of the yeah. Rings, right? Oh, yeah. Tell me, I'm it's fucking just lying. Nasty right, teeth. He's got, he's got this like he's got this like balaclava on, but it's not a normal balaclava because he's got his fucking eyes are covered. Like the only thing that's exposed is his mouth, and he's all fucked up and he's punched and shit. So he's got these like teeth that are all bloody and shit, and he does this big fucking like goofy ass toothy smile, and it's fucking it's the mouth of Sauron. So, yeah. Anyway, oh, absolutely. I just I had I had to say it. Are we ready to move on to ratings? I believe so. We are. We are. I've got two units of measurement here. One. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to take it. I'm going with the 7.2 Leather Daddies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 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 Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's, okay. That's, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel pretty comfortable with that. 
7.2 leather daddies I personally am going to give this a 9.1 out of 10. Whoa. Oh, yeah. I fucking love this movie. Going big. 9.1 out of 10 machine gun preacher teachers. Whoa. Okay, 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 okay. Preacher teacher. Um, All right, so... I think that might be the highest rating we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> I'm down for that. I this and this, preacher teachers is pretty sick. This will be the fifth time I have seen this movie, and I will watch it again. Okay, so I'm gonna go with I'm 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 between three ratings, and you guys, I want you to weigh in on which rating you think is appropriate. All right. So this is gonna be a seven point eight, Chronol blocks. All right. Okay. Hard boiled eggs. All right. Or Deus ex machina manta rays. I'm going to go with hard-boiled eggs. Okay. I don't know. I'm leaning towards Deus Ex Machina Manta Rays. Uh, I think it just rolls off the tongue. Like yeah. It's yes. Okay. Say. It's right. right up there with Machine Gun Preacher Teacher. Oh, well, I guess I'll go with chrono, chrono Blocks, and then we'll all be happy. There we go. Fair but enough. 7.8 7. is... My is opinion doesn't matter. My... <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear the laughter, everyone? That is derision. You're hearing, you're hearing uh, the sound of derision. You think we're friends? <laughs> uh, we don't even know each other. I, I, I knew you once. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I do, in good times. Once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah. Leather daddies. Leather daddies. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is all for the Ulcrep review. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews... Uh, email us at three, that is the number three, meninabasement at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. Spotify. Also, yes, Spotify. Also, the tour dates are set for Sex Dungeon Norway. They're the headliner. Um, Orgy Cart is opening for them. And then Severed Five Skin. Uh, Severed Five Skin came on late in the tour, uh, but they're, they're going to be they're going to be there. They're playing the fringe stage. And then also, obviously, denim on denim on flannel. Yes, um, they're they're coming back as well. Uh, so. I can't wait for that. They had a they had an opener. I think was it um, Jelly Bug Block? Jelly Bug Block. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> you know, last... never pull a Jelly Butt Block out of your ass. Last I never <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. There's a reason. Yes, there's the season. Things are things are gonna go. Um, right, so now we're pulling jelly butt blocks out of our ass. Uh, hopefully not. That's where they belong. That is where they belong. Oh, I heard. Uh, right, so... It's more effective than a butt plug because it, perf- <laughs> it it forms a water <laughs> seal. Thank you guys for listening. You guys are the best. You guys are the best. Um, all right, uh, so we will see you later. And until then, I'm Colin McLeod. Markle. Action Jackson. Ooh. Shigadaboo. That that was a weird one. <laughs> <laughs>